Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to Girl on Fire podcast on the Believe Network, New York's number one podcast network for personal growth. This is your host, Kirsten Franklin. All right, guys, on this week's episode, we have a CEO and founder of the Women's Innovators and Leaders Development Network. She also happens to be a professor at Georgetown University McDonough School of Business. She's a TEDx speaker, a writer for Inc.com, and she's been featured in the New York Times. Please welcome Fiona McCauley. Hey, Fiona. Hey, great to be here with you, Kirsten. Thanks for having me on the show. I know. I love it. I'm so psyched to have you here. So now you, you know, you're obviously well known for the work that you do in social entrepreneurship and you've recently, or maybe not so recently put together this women's innovators and leadership, uh, like I want to keep wanting to call it leadership development network, leaders development network. You're on the right track. You're right. It's all good. But, you know, tell me a little bit about your background and I want to know how that plays into why it's important in, you know, this push to advance women in these executive positions, in these leadership positions. So, you know, I think we all have a mark that we want to make in our lives, in our professional lives. And I think personally that ambition is a great word, right? Because what ambition speaks to is that we want to get out there. We want to make a difference. And I would add that in the process of doing that, we also want to thrive. And it it is not always obvious about how we can have the greatest professional impact that we want to have, the greatest impact with our lives, and at the same time, thrive personally. So I founded WILD four years ago with the goal of supporting women social innovators to be able to have the greatest positive impact in the way that they want to and to thrive at the same time. Amazing. Now, we keep using this word social innovation, social innovators, social entrepreneurship. Can you explain that a little bit for some of the listeners who might not might not understand what that is? Absolutely. So social innovation is looking at how we can address you know, social problems that we have through an innovative lens or sort of social entrepreneurship, taking some of the principles of entrepreneurship, like innovating, solve, problem solving, sustainable business models, and bringing those to social causes. And you kind of have, you know, been involved in that same way for quite some time. I think you started out kind of helping uh, the underserved in financial, in the, from, in the financial space. Is that right? Yeah. So my first social enterprise, uh, I founded when I was 26 years old um, in my living room in New York City. And the focus of that uh, social enterprise was to help low-income people around the world to get ahead economically. So in that chapter of my professional life, Um, I worked with organizations to strengthen their capabilities in about 100 different countries for how to link low-income people to financial services. So, for example, to be able to have a safe place to save money, uh, loan product, if that was appropriate for them, to help young people get education that would lead, lead to jobs, and to help entrepreneurs of either necessity or opportunity have the skills that they needed to set up and launch a successful micro or small business. So in the course of the 20-year career that I had leading that company, I had this privilege of working with a lot of different people around the world who worked for 
local not-for-profit organizations, international NGOs, contractors, government, and in the course of that work really had really learned that there were so many women working in the global development sector who didn't feel that they were able to make their greatest contribution in the workplace, who had a lot more to give than they were having the opportunity to give, who had a, wanted to lead and weren't necessarily being given those leadership opportunities. So when my that first company, when that was acquired four years ago, I pivoted to leverage my understanding of the global development sector, but also to marry it with the opportunity to help take people's leadership skills to the next level and to also support companies and organizations who wanted to have more inclusive cultures, who wanted to be able to have greater, do even better around their work of equity, diversity, and inclusion. And that's what led me to founding the Wild Network. And so here we are four years later, and we have a network of thousands of women and men from more than 120 countries around the world. And what everybody has in common is that they're committed to advancing women's leadership and equity, diversity, and inclusion, giving everybody a chance to lead and creating opportunities for everybody in their companies. Amazing. And I love the fact that you said men and women, because it does take men to be (laughs) assisting so that we do get these opportunities. So that's awesome. So now let me ask you this. So, you know, beyond the female drive for equality beyond the female understanding that dude, we can do it, right? (laughs) Like, and we're just not getting the opportunities. Why do you think it might be important for an organization to diversify, whether that's ethnically, racially, or, you know, having both men and women on their board or in their organization and leadership positions? It's a great question, Kirsten. So organizations, high-performing organizations want to be as successful as possible. In the social sector, right, that's having the greatest social impact. Uh, sustainability is also very important. But high-performing organizations want to be successful at what they do. To be successful at what they do, they need to harness the leadership, the talent of every possible person. And you're going to get the greatest out of your people the more diversity that you have amongst the people who are working for you. So number one, diversity of opinion is what leads to innovation, right? People bringing different lived experience, different academic experience, different work experience. These are the kinds of experiences that allow innovation to thrive because people are going to be able to build on one another's ideas, challenge them, bring different perspectives. Secondly, why would you have anyone in your workplace who you are not fully benefiting from, right? It just doesn't make any sense. And so these these are the business reasons, the economic reasons to value and to ensure diversity in your organizations. And then from from a social justice perspective, of course, we want to ensure that people are being judged on merit and that everybody is being given an opportunity to make the greatest contribution in their organization and in their field. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we speak a lot on, on certain topics here of, of including women. And let me ask you this question. What do you think the greatest barrier is when we have situations where women just simply aren't even thought of to be offered the opportunity, 
right? So like, I know that we, we don't get them, but we don't get them because we're not typically, you know, in, in the card deck when they're drawing the card to say, Hey, who should we invite into this particular, right? We're just, we just don't happen to bleep up on anyone's radar, even if we might be more skilled, more adept or better suited for that position. What do you think the biggest barrier, you know, is that's causing that? And what can we do about it? There's a lot of research that talks about the role that unconscious bias plays, right? If, for example, there's always been an older white man in that role, then we may assume, oh, we're biased towards having an older older white man in that role. So definitely, and, and the research just shows that over and over again. I think that the majority of people want to do what's right. I think the majority of people are really doing their best and that the more we can get information out there about what the data says to make us aware of our biases, the more that we can ensure that women, people of color, people who wouldn't always be thought of for these positions or actually moved into these positions, this idea of you can't be what you don't see. I'm a big subscriber to that. I think role modeling is hugely Mm. helpful and important. And we were speaking about the importance of men's role in gender equality just a moment ago. Let me return to that because gender equality is a human issue and we need women and men in equal numbers. We need all women and all men involved, right? It's not a woman's issue. It's a, it's a societal issue. Men are incredibly important in this work. And often it is men who are the senior decision makers who are the leaders. So often right? It's the voice of, it's the presence of the leaders that are going to make the most significant impact, right? Because the decision maker makes the decision. So men's role is extremely important and we need their participation. We need their leadership on this topic. Um, And I think so often men do want to be involved and they're often not sure how. So I would invite any men in the audience who are participating in this discussion to just know that you are welcome. We welcome your participation in gender equality. We actually need your participation in gender equality. And there's a lot of everyday behaviors that can significantly move the needle. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, we don't just see this play out in, you know, the business realm here. We see it also play out in professional sports, right? Women's soccer got a lot of play because the men's team supported them intentionally. So, right. Same thing for basketball. Um, And then in sports where you don't see that happening, like hockey, it's almost like a failing sport for women because no one's showing up. Right. So it's interesting. Um, So, Being that you have wild, we'll just call it wild for short, since apparently I can't say leadership. (laughs) Um, Like, um, you know, tell me how, you know, this dream of wild is playing out in supporting, you know, the women and the men to, you know, really bring diversification and to support them and grow. So tell me a little bit about that. Thanks for asking. So one of our flagship events, and I'd love to talk about three different events, but one of our flagship events is the... Women in Global Development Leadership Forum. So this forum is specifically for people who are in the global development sector. And we take a very big 10 approach to that. If you feel like you're in the global development sector, you're interested in the global development sector, like come into our tent. And we do this annual convening um, because it provides an opportunity, number one, for people to find community around these topics of advancing women's leadership, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the global development sector. And what I've seen is there's an incredible interest and hunger 
to connect with people who are also committed to these issues. So just a couple of weeks ago, we had our 22, 2022, 2021 forum. We had over 900 okay. people there from 120 countries. And wow. we had women and men and women who were 25 years into their career and women who, you know, just came out of uh, university who started and women from NGOs and local organizations and academic. And what was incredible and impresses me every year was the candor with which people are talking. So when people come to the forum, they're coming because they're looking to develop their own leadership skills and behaviors, right? They want to take their leadership skills to the next level. They're also coming because they want to learn how to build cultures of inclusive leadership in their companies. And they're coming because they want to understand, you know, across the sector, like, you know, what's happening, who's doing what, who's collaborating, how can they be part of it? And what makes this convening so special is the candor with which people share their experience and their expertise and their, you know, advice for other women. So, so often you know to conferences and you'd think everybody's whole career had been some kind of A plus success story. But the reality is that everybody, including our most senior and respected leaders, everybody's careers are a series of peaks and valleys. And what is so interesting is when you can get behind the title and actually get behind the curtain and really hear what successful women and men are crediting, for example, about their, you know, rise to leadership roles and the hard lessons that they've learned along the way. So it's so much more interesting when you're hearing the unvarnished truth and relatable information. Right. And then in the area of creating inclusive cultures, their organizations are talking about their journeys. And we really talk about it as a journey because it is a journey. It's sort of a never-ending process to, to be as inclusive an organization as possible. So we have organizations sharing warts and all what they have done on their in, on their journeys, what they've changed, the employee resource groups they've start, started, policies they've changed, what worked, what didn't. And of course, that's a great way to learn, Kirsten, because you can hear like, oh yeah, let me learn from that person's mistake so I don't make it. Yeah. And you can also hear from things they did that have worked. So this focus on concrete and transferable learning is really at the part of the core DNA of what WILD is about, is creating a safe space where people can come and have those candid conversations. I can put information on the table that you can then pick up, kind of look at what's useful to you, you know, and, and, and take away and apply very concrete learning. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And speaking of the journey, so obviously you've been on a few journeys, <laughs> you know, not just being the professor and not just your first startup, but with your journey with WILD, right, creating it, developing it over the past four years, tell me some things that maybe you had to let go of, release, you know, change in order to be where you are today. Yeah, that's such a great question. And I maybe it's a habit, maybe it's a thought process. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd love that. Well, I'll tell you what, when so I founded my first company when I was 26 and I sold it when I was about 44. So for most of my adult life, I had been the founder CEO of this company, of my first social enterprise. So when I sold it, of course, it felt like a great accomplishment. The company was thriving. It felt good to pass it on at that time. And I was sort of ready to be thinking new things and right. meeting new people and you know, was, was ready for a change myself. However, that first year, 
after I sold the company. I call it my year of humility because I went from having a lot of power and status to having really no power right. and, you know, I, I mean, yeah, probably sort of diminish status because you can only live off your past successes for so long. Right. And because I was interested in moving into new circles, right, I knew that I wanted to help sort of teach and mentor and sort of help that next generation of social entrepreneurs. Um, and while I had done a lot of guest speaking at leading universities in the States, I had never, you know, taught my own class there. So that was a learning curve for me to enter that university in, uh, environment and become a professor and, you know, new professional circles where I, I um, didn't know anybody. Right. And I also wanted to, and, you know, I knew I really wanted to give back to the global development sector in the areas of advancing women's leadership and also equity, diversity, inclusion through a gender lens. And that was, again, just new circles and new people um, and new kinds of partnerships. So essentially, I, was, I went from having an established company to kind of going back to doing a startup. And the last time I had done a startup, I was in my mid-20s, and now I was in my mid-40s. Right. And there were some days I was like, oh, you know, I was done with this 20 years ago, and now here I, here I am back in this role. Uh, however, you know, secretly, I, I do love the, I do, I do largely love the startup grind. I love the creativity in that process. Um, but it, uh, there is something humbling about starting over and it's also necessary. You know, what, what I think was so insightful in that question that you said is like, what did you need to give up? So I, there was a lot of things I needed to give up to make way for new information, new circles, new learning. Um, and anyone who says transition isn't hard, you know, is totally lying. Yeah, they're not transitioning because... then. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, you're, you're, you know, if you're not feeling pretty uncomfortable, you may not be making a very significant change. Exactly. Uh, but one of the things that I definitely, you know, loved about doing a startup 20 years later is that when in my mid-20s, I felt like I had to have it all figured out. As it was already, I had to compensate for my youth. Right. I'm also very short. And you can see I have this baby face, right? <laughs> so when I was in my mid-20s, I was this sort of short, young-looking female entrepreneur right. trying to break into an industry that was uh, that was really like the, where leaders were definitely you know, 20, 30 years older than I was. So I, I felt whether real or imagined that it was necessary for me to show up with all the answers and be kind of totally buttoned up. Right. And... Uh, so there was a lot of times that I felt that I figured felt that I had to figure it out all myself, and then in my mid forties, I'm like, I need help, and like I need help with this and with that, and when I don't know this, I don't know that, and can I reach out to this person? So 20 years later, having already you know had a successful social enterprise under my belt, like when I sold my company, I was one of the top one one percent of women entrepreneurs in America as measured by annual revenues, right? Like I had done very well, but here I was. That left me feeling very confident in saying what I didn't know and asking for help. So that was my big behavioral shift is I just became hugely comfortable at asking for help. And out of that asking came some of my most enjoyable professional relationships that I have ever had. A lot of people helped me. In turn, I've been able to reciprocate with a lot of other people or just pay it yeah. forward and help others. Uh, so I think this both being comfortable tapping into the abundance of generosity of others. Uh, I'm grateful for that. And in turn, I think it also fueled my sense of abundance and generosity for others. 
And this is a great way to work. This is a great way to move through the world. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. Well said. Um, We're going to put some links to uh, the wild network below. Is there anything else? Like if anybody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to find you? LinkedIn, Twitter, how do you want them to find you? Yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm sure you're going to put these links in, but our website is www.thewildnetwork.org. And for our annual conference, it's wildleadershipforum.org. And we have a couple of exciting courses coming up. We have a women of color building your career and community cohort course, where which is led uh, by a fabulous colleague. So over five weeks, it's really exploring finding your purpose, building your tribe and setting clear goals for moving forward. So that is specifically for women of color in the global development sector. Let me ask you that just before we even move on, what, sure. what dates, do you know what the dates are for that? Yeah. The upcoming cohort is going to kick off at the beginning of October. So it'll meet every awesome. Friday in October, 2022. And we also regularly offer a manager essentials course. So that's a four week cohort also that meets uh, four times over four weeks. And that's great for new managers you know, about 80% of managers fail when they first step into that position because they haven't been sufficiently trained. They're very good at something and then they get promoted, right? But like there's a whole set of new skills you need as a manager. And we run the manager essentials workshop on a regular basis because it's so in demand. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, anybody who's a small business owner or startup, you know, a lot of times you learn it by doing it. And then you end yeah. up becoming, it becomes the job and you don't get back to CEO manager brain and you end up running yourself into the ground. And even though you might be quote financially successful, you end up wanting to quit three to five years in because you can't handle it. Right. So I For think sure. that's a, that's a great, that's a great course. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad it speaks to you. Yeah. I love that. Cause I work with so many people. I'm just like, all right, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? I agree. Oh. Work smarter, not harder. It's one of my mantras yes. also. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and then what else do you have? Sorry, I cut you off there. I know you have the women of color, you have the management course. And was there another a third thing you had yeah. there? Well, just to highlight that I think leadership coaching can be such a game changer for entrepreneurs yes. and social innovators, right? Like you're out there on that limb, you are working so hard, you are taking so much risk. And having someone in your corner who can also coach you in just stronger and more effective behaviors hugely helpful. Massively important. Oh, with that one, let me ask you this. Are you working, are you working with a coach currently? I am. I am. I I don't always be working with a coach. And so I I am too. Yeah. Yeah. You too. So what's, what's coaching bringing you? Um, Oh, this is a, this is a really strange one. I'll tell you what just came up for me. So you think at certain levels, like everybody's fine. No, we have it. It's layers. It's layers. You have to keep, and it doesn't matter if you know the techniques and you do them to yourself all the time. You, are you, I'm telling you, when you get to it, I, I call it ninjas. I call us like little ninjas, right? Because sometimes it's like a 10 minute conversation, but we, because we're on the outside, can see it, turn it around and kind of get you to notice it so that you can get past it. Right. So I like little ninjas come in for me, but I do have a regular coach right now. And usually I have more than one, but right now I only have one. And all she did was ask me to, 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 to life script, right. Just life script. Cause I'm at this place. I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to go renovate chateaus in Europe. I have a financial services company. I have a real estate investment company. Obviously I'm a coach or a coach. Like, so I'm like, all right, what, you know, what's next on the agenda here? And she's like, well, you know, I want to, I want, I couldn't bring myself to do this thing. Right. It's like, I'm a writer too, like a fiction novel. So I'm like, I could write that. I can make this up. I, what do, 
what's wrong? So I knew I had resistance. I did my little thing. I'm like, ah. And to be honest, I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk to you next week. I'll just tell you I didn't do it. Right. So, so of course she calls me out and the weirdest things connect and prevent. Right. So I had this, what it came down to was somewhere in my mind, which makes a lot of sense. I decided that teachers don't make a lot of money. Now it doesn't make sense because my father himself was a head of the English department at a college. So making decent money, but you know, media. Oh, and then when you go to school, oh, we don't make enough. Right. So, you know, I could see how that might've slipped in there. And somehow I said that as a coach, part of my job is to teach because I'm a coach consultant. Right. And for some reason, writing this life script was in opposition because I couldn't let myself kind of write about all the stuff that I already do and make money at. So I don't really, you know, it doesn't have to make sense, but this idea that teachers are poor and for some reason that I'm going to be a teacher, if I commit to writing, that this is what I do. And so I just didn't want to commit to writing. The second I broke through that, I literally wrote everything in 10 minutes. Wow. Great story. Being done 10 minutes, right? Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that weird? Like, but you know, weird things, right? How about yourself? What's the most recent kind of breakthrough you've had with your coach? Well, you know, I feel a great question. So I'll give you the short answer and then I'll elaborate a little bit is fundraising. So I find Mm. fundraising kind of like a bit grueling and, and I I have, there's always been a fundraising aspect to what I've been doing for mostly the last 20 years, you know? So, and I find I, I, sometimes just become tired of it and then I'll start, start, stop avoiding what I need to do. And, you know, that's not efficient. Then I, then I just think about it, but I'm not doing it. And so it was working through with my coach, like where, where is my blockage with fundraising? Right. And I think sometimes it comes from like feeling like I'm asking. And then she's like, yeah, but what are you, what are you offering in the process of asking? What's the value? And just that reminder about that value that you're bringing to others, right. That you're like fundraising yeah. service of, your mission, you're also fundraising, you know, if you're, if you're offering something of value, then you're being successful at it. So, you know, so like no one's doing you any favors, like you're actually, it's a win-win on both sides. And that's just a reminder that I think I always benefit from. And then also, you know, as part of that, my coach was like, like, it's okay to get tired of fundraising. Like, you know, what's your, maybe you fundraise for two days and then you take two days off. And I was like, yeah, you know, thank you for permission to listen to myself. Right. Not always (laughs) what you should be doing, but, you know, doing it in a way that works for you. Yeah. And that's so true for everything that we do in business and life, because it's just one thing, you know, I I talk about quote life balance or work-life balance, but the truth is, is it's all just your life. So, you know, it has to work for you. It's like, you know. Right. It's like the work-life blend, I think yeah. is really what it is. Yeah. 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 And, and I have a colleague, actually, a coach who, who I admire named Edie Greenblatt, and she focuses on people's resilience. And here was a really key takeaway I got from her a couple of years ago on that topic. She was saying, there are things at work that are energizing to you and things that are depleting. And there's things in your personal life that are energizing and things that are depleting. So it's not that like work is all depleting and the rest of your life is all energizing. In fact, there's aspects to it. And that I has really stuck with me because it's helped me be very aware of what do I find energizing at work and what do I find depleting so that I can plan around that, you know, like do depleting things in the morning when I have the highest energy, do energizing things in the afternoon or maybe learn energy. And also just making sure I'm not packing too much depletion 
into any one week, Yes, you know, and then realizing that yes, sometimes yes, yes. there's things in my personal life that are depleting. So just recognizing that as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's, that's great. And like, I do that subconsciously in the sense of, I will always make sure that I have a coaching or a client or something energizing at least once in my day. And I like it mostly by the end of the day. So when I stop, I feel good. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So smart. And like subconsciously doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. awesome. I love it. All right. So what do you, what, what kind of last word would you like to leave the, the listeners with? Well, I think firstly, you know, if anything that I've spoken about today speaks to you, I would love to connect with you on LinkedIn, on Twitter, through our, you know, the wildnetwork.org website. So would love to be in touch. And the second thing is I'm just going to return back to, I think one of the things I said, which is nobody can do it alone. Nobody can do it alone. And if you feel like you're struggling with something, if you feel like you're being inefficient, if you just knew this piece of information, you'd be able to be so much more effective. I hope that you'll reach out to somebody and, and ask them because pe- people love yeah. to help, right? It makes us feel good to help others. So I say never hold back on, on reaching out. And then of course, if there's something that you can do that you can help someone else with, and I know that there is, uh, just of course, go forward, pay it forward and uh, be generous and it'll only come back to you in good ways. I love it. Thank you so much, Fiona, for joining us. It's been a pleasure and I hope we speak again soon. Thanks, great talking to you. So that is it for this week. Thank you for joining me. And I hope that you enjoyed today's show. If so, don't forget to rate it. If you guys have a pressing question, feel free to tweet me at CS Thrive uh, or on Instagram at Thrive Tribe 3.14159. Again, I know that's a weird one. It's just pi. So it's three, it's Thrive underscore Tribe underscore 3.14159. Or of course you can join me in Facebook at my free group, which is Thrive Tribe Global. If you just search groups and you enter in Thrive Tribe Global, you should see us there um, and you can join it for free. Uh, I answer your questions in there, but if you guys send me a question through there, I will be sure to answer it here on this podcast. And as always, if you're ever interested in advertising on the show, please contact the Believe Network at Believe, B-L-E-A-V, at believe.com. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.